learning and development in my mind and in my view is very much more effective when you have individuals who are learning and development experts running that function, individuals who are trainers and individuals who can think like trainers, individuals who can relate well to other people at all different levels and of all different personalities across the organization. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. My guest on this episode is Jill Maganza Ruiz. She's the HR director for Dentons, where she oversees a team of more than 20 human resource professionals across the country. Jill is a huge proponent of continuing education and wellness. She believes if people can continue to learn, and it also benefits their health, wellness, and being, not only is it a win for the individual, but for their company too. Let's dive right in. Jill Maganza Ruiz, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks for coming on. I've been looking forward to this, like I was telling you earlier. I wanted to get this thing started sooner rather than later, so I'm happy to have you at the helm. I'm happy to get to know you better, let everyone else get to know you better, learn about your background, what you're doing now in work, and uh, something that hopefully you can teach us, which I have a feeling is a lot. So in case you're not ready, let's get this party started. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I first like to start out with like a little bit of rapid fire questions. It, it gives the audience a, an opportunity to kind of get to know you as a person as opposed to just a title. So uh, what do you say? You start by letting me know what it is that you do to keep yourself sharp, like physically as well as mentally. Great question. And I think it's probably even more relevant nowadays when we're all working remotely. And, you know, at least for me, not commuting means a little bit less exercise I'm getting during the course of the day. From a physical uh, sort of well-being perspective, I'm a little bit limited, but uh, I try to make use of my apartment. I live on a one-floor apartment, so I'm not walking up and down internal stairs at all, but Mm. quite frankly, keep small dumbbells in my home office with me. And when I'm on a call, usually not a video call, I'll break them out and do some arm exercises to the best that I can just to physically keep my body moving and keep myself moving. Mentally, I think it's probably even a little bit more challenging and and, and likely for many of us these days, there's a nicety about being able to work remotely. And for those of us who have had that privilege in the past, but 
regularly go into an office. Being able to work from home occasionally is really nice. And at least it's something that I've enjoyed. Working from home on a full-time basis, as I have been for the last two months, and I suspect many others have as well, it's a little bit of a different story. And it takes a little bit of getting used to, or at least it did for me. I'm online earlier in the day than I normally am. I'm still getting up at my normal time and logging in and, and beginning my day. And I'm working a little bit later than I ordinarily would have because I obviously no longer have a commute. So I'm shaving an hour off of my schedule. So being able to disconnect from work has become a little bit more challenging for me. And so I have found that sometimes even just having a little bit of quiet time is all I need to sort of decompress and recharge and, and keep my mental well-being and my mental sanity, quite frankly, intact. And sometimes that literally is as simple as turning away from my computer, lowering the volume, taking a couple of deep breaths, and just enjoying a few moments of silence. God, good for you to be able to do that. Is this something that you've been working on, or is that just a, a habit that you've always had? Definitely not a habit. And yes, certainly something I've had to work on. And again, I know it seems rather simplistic, but I'm somebody who sort of dives into her work and doesn't really stop until I feel as though my day is done. So break, taking a break during the course of the day is something that I really had to train myself to do. And I'm a firm believer that I have to practice what I preach. And as I say to my team and to colleagues around the firm, that it's important for us to break away from work occasionally, whether it's to grab lunch with the kids now that most people are home or step away for dinner with a spouse or significant other. I'm trying to train myself to do that same thing. Jill, you mentioned that from a mental standpoint, something that you do is you just try to take a minute and that you reflect and uh, try to get into a, a calm or meditative state. What do you do outside of the office though? Ah, so great, great question. Something that most people probably wouldn't think I do when I'm not in the office. So my husband and I uh, own, and, and really my husband operates, a private fishing charter boat out on Montauk, which for those not familiar with New York is, is really the eastern most tip of New York. And so when I am not working, whether it's physically in the office or sitting at my computer at home these days, I try to spend my weekends on the water and fishing with my husband. For me, being on the ocean is a very soothing place for me. Anybody who has done that in the past can probably share the love of the salt air and, and oftentimes the quiet. I very much enjoy sunrise on the ocean or sunset on the ocean if we're leaving early in the morning or coming in later in the evening. It's just such a serene place. And, and again, it, it helps me disconnect from all of the craziness that we all deal with and that I deal with during the week and, and uh, sort of decompress a little bit. So I chalk that up to uh, my own mental well-being activity. Nice. Wow, you just actually, I just daydreamed as you were talking. I kind of zoned out for a little bit. You brought me to my happy place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate that. Jill, would you mind sharing the name of your company, um, the name of your and your husband's company? Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to. It's uh, November Rain is the name of the boat. So for those who are Guns N' Roses fans, November Rain is one of their songs. And um, that's uh, in part where the name of the boat came from. And the business is uh, called November Rain Charters. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Everyone listening, go charter a boat. <laughs> 
And what you're telling me, by the way, is very consistent with a lot of the CHR, other CHROs that I've been in uh, conversations with. What they're saying is that the average actually productivity is up north of 30%, but the big fear that they have is burnout. I don't know if that's something that, whether it's you're personally on top of or sensing or just as an organization, if it's something that you're kind of keeping on the radar. I think that's absolutely right. And it is something that we're keeping a very close eye on. And, and, you know, any publication that you look at, I mean, I spend a lot of time reading various articles. And again, particularly in this COVID-19 environment, articles published by McKinsey, by the Harvard Business Review, by Forbes, and, and other reputable publishers and organizations. And that is an area that I see that is continuing to be a focus for many business leaders. And it's something that we remain very focused on at my firm as well. And and really, again, being able to tell people to and advise people, encourage them to take time away from the office is important. And I think even more so, again, not that you shouldn't always be doing it, but with those who have children are, are now potentially homeschooling those children, those who might have elder parents may not have that care, that outside care that was once in place. And so that's an additional responsibility that they've taken on. So really being able to find time for yourself to avoid that burnout is becoming increasingly important and and has been increasingly important over the last few months. A bunch of people that I've been speaking with are, you know, they run benefits and wellness. And, you know, that's been a pretty big focus of the firm now is more of the mental health, that piece of the wellness that the organizations are looking to evaluate and invest some money in because they're seeing the bigger picture of what of the importance of being mentally in the right place and obviously how that affects your physical being. I was reading an article not that long ago and it talked about the fact that again, especially in these in the days that we're living in right now, organizations as a whole are having to cut costs and that cost cutting might result in layoffs, it might result in furloughs, it might result in compensation adjustments or a reduction in hours. There are a whole host of areas where organizations and businesses can look, but there are two areas that I keep seeing as areas of focus where we should not be cutting back funds and should not be cutting back efforts. One of them is training, and I'm a strong proponent of that. And again, particularly now getting our people trained to work effectively while in a remote environment. But the other is health and wellness. And Mm. we're working in a much different environment right now. Just because you don't leave your house doesn't mean that it's easier. Taking that commute out of your day doesn't mean that it's an easier day for you. And in fact, quite the contrary to what we've just been discussing, a lot of people are struggling. We're seeing and, and reading about people who are struggling to manage being the person who helps manage the family at home and also being the individual who helps manage the business. And being able to take that time for yourself, whether it's through your meditation, whether it's through taking some vacation time, or like I said, as I do, just taking a few moments of silence every once in a while, um, it really is something that we need to weave into what we're doing on a daily basis. I agree. In the spirit of uh, taking a vacation or just taking a mental break, what was the last thing that made you laugh? So, you know, interestingly... I am somebody who believes very much in that laughter is the best medicine and that when you can infuse humor into what you're doing, you should be. And I try to do that. I mean, human resources isn't always funny or where people might turn to joke around or to have fun, but I try to 
infuse humor where appropriate whenever I can within my team. And just this morning, I was talking with some team members and we were sort of joking a bit about the fact that Monday doesn't seem any different than Tuesday, which is no different than Wednesday. And in some cases, it's no different than Saturday or Sunday. And, you know, we see all of these little cartoons lately about, you know, the days of the week have been changed from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to any day, any day, any day, (laughs) because they all just blur together. So nothing brand new, but it was a good chuckle that a number of us had on a call earlier today. That's great. If you happen to have that in a meme, I would love to have that forwarded, by the way. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Good looking up. All right. One more kind of loose question before we really kind of dig into the the meat and potatoes of today's conversation. Um, And in the spirit of meat and potatoes, i.e. food, I'd like to know, where do you get the best slice of pizza? Ooh, so... The best slice of pizza that I would recommend is the place where I actually haven't visited in probably over 20 years, but I know that they still serve this slice of pizza. There's a a pizzeria in Brooklyn, New York, which is where I was born and raised, that served a, they called it their Supreme Slice. Original Pizzeria was the name of the place. And to this day, in 20, 25 years since I've had that slice, I have yet to find a, a slice of pizza that's as good as that one. Ooh, all right. And what part of Brooklyn is that? Mill Basin. Gotcha. All right. Yep. Big, Ralph big shout out. Mill Basin. Yep. <laughs> big yep. Shout out. <laughs> awesome. Hey, so, so Jill, for those who aren't familiar with kind of who you are and what it is that you do, would you be kind enough to give an overview? Sure. Sure. I'd be happy to. I've been within the human resources field. I've worked within the HR field now for over 20 years. I have a master's degree in organizational psychology And really, for as long as I can think back, I've always been interested in sort of the psychology of business, so how people thrive and and, and are effective uh, and motivated and engaged in their businesses. So I started working uh, actually within a law firm field a number of years ago, about 20 years ago, and it was more happenstance than anything else, but I had started working in legal and I've been there ever since. I'm at Denton's. Uh, U.S. LLP right now, which is a law firm. Uh, My part of the firm is located in the United States, but we have offices and regions throughout the world. We're the largest law firm in the world. And I have a team of about 22 people right now who support me. And, And really, our focus is on anything from training and development to uh, talent acquisition, compensation administration, reporting and analysis, all of the things that you can envision falling under human resources, performance and engagement, motivating employees. That's all a part of what we do. And it's interesting because I was talking with some friends who happened to also be HR practitioners just maybe two weeks ago or so when we were commenting about how different the world of HR is today versus, you know, even mm-hmm. 10 years ago and how the focus of human resources has shifted a bit. So it's an exciting field from my perspective to be a part of. I'm a strong believer that you really have to like what you do for a living. You won't always have a great day. And I'd be lying if I said that I was always happy and cheery at the end of every day, but I genuinely enjoy what I do. And that's a really important part of it. And it's an exciting area to be working in these days. What are you seeing as some of the biggest changes? I think there is a much more of a closer focus on the human element of each business. 
So obviously, many will say, and I'm a believer that a business is nothing without its people. And I think that applies to the majority of businesses. But, you know, it's about understanding the business and managing and running your business. But it's also about understanding your people. And I think there's been a shift, certainly in the last five years, in opportunities to train and develop our people. I also think there's been a pretty significant shift in the focus on well-being, as we were just talking about. And whether that's generational, I think that's probably part of it. But I think it's really more about ensuring that people are liking what they're doing. And again, I I know that sounds rather simplistic. And putting aside this COVID-19 pandemic that has sort of turned our world upside down, we were seeing some of the lowest unemployment rates that we've seen in a number of years. And we were seeing a much broader market of applicants in all areas, whether that be human resources or technology or marketing, finance, you name it, at least from our perspective. And it's important that you're keeping your people happy because quite frankly, they can just as easily walk across the street to a competitor or to another employer. And I think doing that and not only making sure they're happy with things like money and recognition, but making sure that they're feeling satisfied and sort of intrinsically meeting some of their own values or or being able to support some of their own values and things that are important to them, such as flexible work schedules and the like are becoming increasingly important. And we have been talking quite a bit about that as it relates to the the wellness, the whole world of of health and wellness and well-being. That's really interesting. So how do you think, you know, things are going to change? It's a great question. And it's a question that I've heard a lot of people ask, and I have asked it of others as well. I think there's a big question mark that we're facing right now about what the future means for us. I believe there's going to be a shift in the way we are doing our jobs. This pandemic, not only has it turned many of our worlds upside down, but it's forced us at a very accelerated rate to rethink the way we do business and to rethink the way we operate and communicate with one another and collaborate with one another. I can see there being increases in the use of technology moving forward. I could even see there being opportunities to have more of a remote workforce. And and again, it's great having that ability to be remote, but it's about striking that right balance between, you know, when you're working at home, you've got to be able to walk out of your home office at some point during the day and find a nice balance for your personal life. And I think that's going to continue to be something that we continue to have a close eye on. Yeah. So going back a little bit, you had mentioned that you've got over 20 people in your staff. Was a staff always that big or is that something that you built? It is something that I've built and I've done it over really quite some time, probably about 10 years or so. And, and you know, some might say, well, it doesn't take that long to hire more people. And, and you're right, it doesn't if you're just bringing on headcount for the sake of bringing on headcount. But I've been very focused on not only finding the right people, but having the right support. So I like to think that we have somewhat of a hybrid approach between having a, your centers of excellence, if you will, so your areas that are focused on one particular area, such as recruitment or learning and development, as well as your more generalist type positions that do a little bit of everything. And I think there are pros and cons to each of those. Uh, I really spent the last, uh, I would say probably last five to six years, very focused on the pros. So 
why do I want to have certain positions that truly are those centers of excellence? And then similarly, why would I want to have individuals that have more generalist experience? And I think the two complement one another very well. I think to be efficient you do, and to be effective in what we do, there are certain areas where we need expertise. Learning and development in my mind and in my view is very much more effective when you have individuals who are learning and development experts running that function, individuals who are trainers and individuals who can think like trainers, individuals who can relate well to other people at all different levels and of all different personalities across the organization. Certainly benefits is a very important area. Having a team of experts within the benefits function, also very important, knowing what our options are, being able to think outside of the box and bring in and offer to us benefits that are not only the the sort of expected things like medical, dental, and vision insurance as an example, but things around wellness. And again, with that focus on continuing to look at employee well-being. And then you have to have those individuals who are sort of jack of all trades, who are that front line of exposure. I like to say that that front line of offense, the individuals who are working with our business leaders who understand the business and who can provide day-to-day support. And then those generalists, we call them HR business partners, those generalists know when to turn to the centers of excellence or the specialists and bring them in when it's necessary. So striking that balance has been important to me and also understanding that there are going to be instances when certain areas may see a lull in activity, such as talent acquisition, and being able to accommodate that lull was also important to me. So I did not want to build a team that was very heavy in in one particular area that could not be applicable or or sort of redeployed to assist in other areas if if business in that area slowed down a bit. And, And again, recruitment and talent acquisition is a great example where we're seeing a pretty significant slowdown in that activity, but we've been able to look at some of the folks who provide that acquisition support and get them involved in some other really important matters that have become more critical to us these days. So that nimble style of, uh, of recruiting your own in-house talent, is that something that you kind of learned on the fly, something that someone taught you, or is just uh, you just kind of came up with this? No, I spent a lot of time, and, and I, I certainly, I, I will not take credit for it all, all on my own, Adam. I, I spent a lot of time looking at what some of my peers were doing in our other regions. I looked at what some of my peers have done at their organizations, law firms or not. And I've also looked internally and talked with my team about what works and what doesn't work. Where do we think that we need more specialized service, support service, and and where do we think we need to be more generalized? So it was a little bit of a a sort of hybrid realization, if you will. Uh, It was part me, part my team, part colleagues and peers outside of the firm that led me to saying, this is the type of HR organization that I think we need to support our law firm. So you seem to have a lot of decent connections. Is this something that you've been cognizant of throughout your career? Because like you just mentioned, hey, I'm going to leverage the business. I'm going to leverage other people outside, like some of your friends. And obviously you do a lot of reading. How important have these relationships that you've developed? I guess, how did you go about building them? And how important have they been in your decision-making process? 
Well, I think having relationships is critical to anybody's success, whether you're an HR practitioner or a finance person or a techie. You've got to have those relationships. And I've spent a lot of time over literally the last 20 or so years, 25 years, building my relationships. People who I went to grad school with, I'm still in touch with. And we may have gone in different directions in terms of the industries in which we work, but we stay in touch and we heavily rely upon one another. I look to grow my network on LinkedIn. I look to organizations like the Society for Human Resources Management. I'm a member of the National Association of Professional Women. So I try to keep an eye out for organizations and associations that not only appeal to me, but that I think are relevant to what I do and also organizations that I think I can contribute to. It is a two-way street, but I I do think going back to your initial question, Adam, I think building and maintaining those relationships is incredibly important. You've got to make time to do that. Has that skill helped you in terms of getting HR a seat at the decision table within your organization? I think it has. I'd like to say it has. I think one of the most important traits of an HR practitioner is understanding the business. As with many functions, you could sort of copy and paste. You could pick up HR from one organization and put us into another organization. And we have to adapt and we have to learn. But much of what we do as HR practitioners, many of the rules that we follow and the practices that we apply, we will apply in any environment. But to really be successful and to have a seat at the table, you have to understand the business within the organization that you're working in, within the organization that you support. You just can't do it without it, without understanding how a law firm works, without understanding how some of our legal practice groups operate, without understanding some of the challenges they might face or some of the things that they'd like to do for which they're seeking HR support. We're just not as effective as we should be. So for me, building relationships with our managing partners and with our practice group leaders and other professionals who help run the business, including individuals within, again, areas like our marketing team and our IT team, finance and so on and so forth, those have to be partnerships. You've got to be sort of joined at the hip with those people, in my view, in order to be successful. And I'm a very strong proponent and convey to my team the importance of partnering with others and building teams anytime we have a large project to work on. The approach that we try to take is to build a team. So let's not take it all on by ourselves. Let's assess where else we're going to need support, whether it's technology support or it's accounting support. And let's build a team of people who can help us achieve what we need to. And by doing that, you're building relationships. It's inherent in the way that we operate. Is there any advice that you have on how, or maybe just cite examples of things that you've done to build some of these relationships? Because everybody knows how important the relationships are, but where a lot of people struggle is in the development of those relationships. So I don't know if you have a particular story or just any general advice on how people can go about building the relationships before you need them. Sure. I think one of the most important things that we all should keep in mind is that it's okay to do that outreach. We, we shouldn't wait for people to come to us, to introduce themselves to us. And I know that's difficult. It can be difficult for a variety of reasons. Maybe the individual you believe you should be reaching out to is 
senior to you and you're not really sure if it's appropriate for you as the junior person to be making contact with that senior person. And I actually think it is very much appropriate to be doing that. And I actually think it's more appropriate for you to be doing that. Do that outreach, introduce who you are, explain why you're getting in contact with them. Talk a little bit about how you as a practitioner, again, regardless of whether it's HR or another field, how you believe you can help support them and start a dialogue with them. It's, it's all about that first, you know, whether it's a handshake, a face-to-face handshake or a phone call or a video call, making that contact is important. I can tell you that just recently we onboarded a junior level person within our organization to fill a very important role. And before I had an opportunity to call her and just welcome her to the team, she's part of the HR team, she actually went ahead and sent me a calendar invite. And she said, hey, I'd love to get some time on your calendar to introduce myself and learn a little bit about what your expectations are. And I just thought that just made such a great impression for me. Mm -hmm. And it didn't take a lot of effort, maybe a little bit more courage for some than others. But that's just a great way of saying, I'm here, I'm part of the team, I want to dive in, and I want to understand the business. So let's talk and, and you can tell me about your business and what your needs or desires are. I love that. I absolutely I, I was I was truly impressed and, and perhaps I shouldn't be considering that I'm a strong proponent and, and I often have guided others to do that same thing, but I I was truly impressed by by her outreach and subsequently had a really lovely conversation with her. Oh, I'm not surprised. I mean just think about that conversation. You're already having this impression. You're now looking forward to that conversation as opposed to not that you wouldn't have looked forward any less if you had to do the reach out, but you've already, there's, there's an impression in your mind already. That is powerful. So she had a, a good hand going into that conversation. Kudos to her and kudos to anybody else that follows your lead and listens to this advice that you're sharing because that's so important. I cannot stress enough how often people, again, talk about, they know these relationships, but they don't know what to do and how to start them. And that's, you know, initiating some of those conversations can be really difficult. So thank you for sharing that. Just to add to that for a moment, sometimes initiating the conversation can truly be something as simple as how is your weekend or how are things going? Or I see you've been with the firm or the organization for X number of years. Can you tell me a little bit about what you do or what you like or how you've succeeded? I mean, it can be very general or it can be more specific, but there are many ways to start that dialogue and it's very much welcome. Completely agree. What is the best advice that someone ever gave you? A couple of things that come to my mind. Education is important. I'll talk just a little bit about that, but again, seems rather simplistic. When I was just uh, starting graduate school a number of years ago, many years ago, I was looking for a job. I was going to grad school in the evenings because I wanted to work full time. And I, of course, needed some flexibility with my ability to work full time and have an opportunity to attend classes. I was going to school physically and attending classes in person. And I remember interviewing at a number of organizations and I was interviewing for an assistant level position. I was really just getting started in in the New York City type of environment. And I interviewed with probably four or five different organizations, and actually most of them happened to be law firms. And 
many of them said to me, you sound like you'd be great. And, and, you know, I've really enjoyed our conversation, but we don't know that we can offer you the flexibility to attend school in the evening. So this probably isn't the best bet for you. And there was one last firm that I had interviewed with, and I had the same conversation with the woman who interviewed me as I had previously. And she said, you know, education is very important. It's not just a matter of having a credential following your name or having a diploma to hang on the wall. It's about continuing to grow your brain and develop your mindset. And she said, I'm very much supportive of what you're saying to me. And she actually offered me the job on the spot. Now, again, I'm going back a number of years. I actually took that position and worked for her for about eight and a half years before moving on. And I, and she allowed me the flexibility that I needed, but it stuck with me that that conversation that we had, I think it was probably 1998, that conversation that we had where she talked with me about her belief about the importance of education. And again, not just getting the degree, but really training your brain, continuing to train your brain, continuing to learn um, has stuck with me. And it's something, it's advice that I continue to give to people I work with nowadays. It's advice that I've given to friends of mine who have faced similar type circumstances. And in fact, even within my own team, I had an employee not that long ago come to me. She's a more junior level employee, not that long out of college. And she said, I'm going to be starting grad school and I'm doing my classes online, but I'm going to need a little bit of time in the evenings and on the weekends to be able to attend those online programs and get my coursework done. I really don't want to leave. Do you think it would be possible for me to continue working with the team and also start grad school? I have to say, and I, I will sound a little sappy here, it really just warmed my heart having that conversation with her. And I relate to her exactly what I just shared with you, Adam. And I said, absolutely, by all means, you should do whatever you can to continue learning and continue training your brain and exercising your muscle, your brain muscles. And we will do what we need to do to make it work. She has since started grad school and it's been working beautifully. We wouldn't even know that she needed the flexibility because it's just, it's inherent in what we do as a team. The continuation of learning, I think, is really, really important for all, regardless of what area you might work within. I completely concur in the importance of just kind of keeping the brain stimulated. Now, are you open or do you care if they're learning something that doesn't necessarily directly relate to their job, but might maybe make them a more balanced person, whether it's learning karate or whether it's learning, I don't know, just something just to keep their brain stimulated? No, I truly don't. Again, going back to this theme of wellness and well-being, whether you are learning for the sake of having that diploma on the wall or, or credentials following your name, or you are learning how to meditate or do yoga or karate or whatever it is that helps you just be a more balanced individual, I, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Love it, love it, love it. So was the person that you referenced in that job interview back in 1998, did that person become a mentor to you? And, and if not, have you had a mentor? So she did. She absolutely did become a mentor to me. And certainly while I continued at that firm, I continued working beneath her, if you will. She was my boss throughout my tenure there. And she was fantastic. And, and I learned a lot of lessons from her. 
some were unspoken lessons. You know, oftentimes mm-hmm. I would just watch her how and, and, and watch how she communicated with others. And not so much the words she used, but the physical gestures that she used or maybe the tone that she applied. I would pay very, very close attention to that. And I would try to reflect that and, and sort of repeat that in the way I would communicate with people and, and sort of test it out with her almost a little bit. And even after I left that firm, I, I stayed in touch with her for many years uh, until I, she unfortunately passed away last year. But we, we stayed in touch. She was at my wedding and we stayed in very close touch. And, and I can truly say she was a mentor. And again, I, I think it's really important for all of us to have a mentor, whether that's an external coach, whether that's a family member, whether that's a prior boss. And it's okay to have multiple mentors. For me, she was really somebody who I learned quite a bit from over over eight plus years. I can't agree with you more, the importance of mentors and what I call a personal board of mentors, because no one person knows exactly what to do, you know, even for themselves. <laughs> so yeah. I, I concur. Yeah. Again, I'm sorry for your loss. But one thing that you touched upon that you took from her, which I thought was a really keen observation. Have you ever heard of, um, it's like Moravian's Law? Have you heard that term before? I don't know that I have. Okay, I might be, you know, it might be pronounced something totally different, but that's how I'm pronouncing it at least. It's the rule of 738.55, and it's a communication law that uh, 7% of communication is really done with the words. 38% of the communication is kind of tonality, and 55% of communication is body language. So the fact that you were kind of observant of these things with her and that it's important that you were conscious of it because I'm sure you got a lot more just being conscious of that because it's, it's just so true. Yeah. I personally like interaction. I like being in front of people as much as I can. And nowadays we're certainly living in a much more uh, virtual environment, but I rely upon video as much as I can because it's important to be able to see other people's body language. I, I think, you know, when you're communicating with individuals, regardless of what you're communicating about, being able to see how they are reacting to what you are saying. Sometimes even a, a head nod. Somebody may not even realizing that they are nodding in agreement, but oftentimes when I'm speaking to a large audience and I can see one or two people on the video nodding with me, I know I've struck a chord. And even if others may not agree, at least I know that people are hearing what I'm saying and they're engaging in the conversation we're having. Completely agree. Yeah. I mean, truth be told, it's frustrating even doing this conversation through Zoom. I'm personally finding it very, uh, I mean, obviously we've got a good flow here, but there are times where not someone else's fault or not necessarily my fault, but you just don't see the person or if you do, you're seeing them in lag, you know, due to the technology. There's a lot missing there. So yeah, yeah, no, I'm with you. Jill, I I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know that we've got a hard stop this has been fantastic. Uh, a, a lot of takeaways from this conversation. Your story is is really cool. I think that there are a lot of things that people can learn from our conversation, whether it's the mentor, whether it's how you've gone about building your department. I really like that you've struck that balance between the generalist and, and I forgot, what was the word that you called? Centers of excellence or what was? Centers of excellence. Yeah. yeah. I, Centers I, I, of excellence or specialists. Yeah. That, that is great. Again, just being able to be nimble in these times too, where, like you said, you talked about like whether it's the recruiting, obviously there's a dip going on in the talent acquisition space, but you've been nimble enough 
to have them not just be so focused that hopefully there's other responsibilities that they can take on so that you've kind of preserved jobs, you know, whether you were conscious of it or not. And, uh, you know, maybe they learn a new skill set and maybe they find themselves in leaning more towards that area of their business. I, I think it's really cool. Again, like I said, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show. This has been a lot of fun and uh, I'm looking forward to getting all the great feedback. Excellent. Well, again, thanks for having me. This was, uh, this was great. Appreciated uh, the conversation. So thank you. All right. Cheers. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise.